We reached back into the catalog into episode two to find- There, has, there haven't been that many. How many have there been? 15? 16 now. This is 16. I feel like we're younger then. Life was so much simpler back then. October 2020? September. But who's counting? I don't know. I am. I'm counting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And why are we here today, Artie? Well, Rob, we're here because we need to meet demand and create more episodes. And the Suez Canal gave us an excuse to do so. Plumbing of trade, we've called it. We have called it the plumbing of trade before the plumbing got backed up. And there's been a little backup. In the words of Billy Joel, there's trouble in the Suez. <laughs> and we've, we're going to have our second only, first only, first ever. That's right. We've got Jan Hoffman, repeat offender. He'll be joining us to walk us through a little bit on what happened within the Suez Canal, why the Suez got stuck, and what it all means for, for trade. And more importantly, as always, why we should care. And eventually we'll find out the implications for the folks we work with in, for instance, West Africa. Right, there is an interesting twist, again, on that theme of inequality and COVID as a sort of an accelerant, which, to be honest, we talk a lot about, but I did not expect to get out of this discussion with Jan. So without further ado, let's get into it. So Jan, welcome to to the podcast again. Again. So you are you Sorry. have the <laughs> No, a repeat offender. Yeah. I was going to say you have the distinction of being the first repeat guest ever. On tradesplaining. And did wow. did the first appearance, did that change your life? What is so, the correct answer now? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever massages our ego. We can move on quickly. <laughs> Next question. So Jan, thanks for, for joining us again. I think you joining tradesplaining comes at a very uh, opportune time, considering all of the events given. We're also glad that you could make time to join us, considering that you have much bigger fish to fry. We recently saw that you're the time person of of the uh, minute minutes of the of the shortened uh, work of week. the six day crisis week. yeah so we're really glad to have you on board we're hoping that you can help shed a bit more light on what happened in the suez mm -hmm. and uh, what the possible ramifications could be so if you i mean give us 30 yeah. seconds on what what do you think actually happened well the the technical thing what really happened there there is wind there are pilots on board there are captains on board and Maybe it's one of those things that just has to happen once so that in future it will be avoided by better preempting and, and control. I said the same ship already had an accident in Hamburg two years earlier, which also was supposedly caused by winds coming from the side. So I'm not sure. I, I don't honestly know if it was the same captain or the same wind. Or, but uh, a bit more, more seriously, the Swiss Canal, they, they had expanded their capacity recently. Some parts of the canal can now go in Parallel, there are two canals, so to say, but on that particular part, part where this accident happened, unfortunately, once it's closed, it's closed. And in terms of container trade, our transport statistics say 21.7% of global containerized trade measured in container units goes through the Suez Canal. That is mostly trade between Asia and Europe. And that is mostly from Asia to Europe, and they're going empty containers back. And also from Asia, mostly from China, to the east coast of North America. And they're also full containers to New York, and then empty back through the Suez Canal. So it's quite quite a lot. And so what, what happens when this closes down? We have higher freight rates, we have more delays, we have more emissions, and we have the internet complaining when it is free again, because they have fewer jokes to make. 
Uh, this podcast being <laughs> one of those, yeah, the, exactly the, the, the biggest one. <laughs> We're always looking to mine free content. So this was this is a very very big ship. If I if I may use technical specifications, uh, yeah, yeah, very very yeah. very big. Just just imagine these huge ships. They transport as much as twenty thousand big trucks, like these forty foot containers. Well. 20,000 20 foot containers. If you put two of them on a big truck, it's one of these 40 foot containers. If you go day and night by truck with these, you would need 20,000 truck drivers. 20,000, like two per truck, day and night, and so on. On one of these ships, you have 20 to 25 seafarers. So compare yeah. 20,000 to 20 to 25. That's economies of scale. That is why these things are moved by ship and not by truck when they come from Asia to Europe, for example. Even by train, you would need more trains and it's more expensive. So, so yes, you have these huge economies of scale on the seaside, but also with these ever bigger, <laughs> ever given, ever bigger. <laughs> ever given, bigger. Yeah. He's uh, here all week, folks. Given these days, yeah. <laughs> Try the veal. <laughs> The risk is also bigger with the bigger ships. Uh, if you speak to insurance, uh, marine insurance, they're, they're not happy. These ships, as big as the biggest oil tankers or as the biggest dry bulk carriers that transport iron ore, but the value on each one of the ships is much, much higher because instead of transporting stones like iron or even oil, the, the value per ton of laptop or equipment or whatever is on even IKEA furniture, textile is much, much higher. So if one of these ever gets really destroyed or sinks as a big accident, this, this is huge. And then because they are bigger, if these ships then get stuck in the Suez Canal, they actually block it. If a smaller ship gets stuck, well, smaller, other smaller ones could still pass by. So, so I, I guess the question Rob's really trying to ask is, is bigger always better? Or harking back to our first episode, does size matter? Yeah, size matters for the shipping industry. They happy to have bigger ships. They benefit from the bigger ships. I would say for for two main reasons. First of all, you do have economies of scale on the seaside. Adam Smith and Marshall, they used shipping as the example for economies of scale because you double the size, but you only increase the the energy that you need by the square root of two. So it's it's really classic economies of scale. But once these ships arrive in port, you have diseconomies of scale. Because if you are in a port, what do you prefer? One ship every two days with 20,000 or one ship on Monday with 10,000, another one on Tuesday with 10,000. Yeah? If you have one ship on Tuesdays with 20,000, you need more trucks, you need a wider pier, you need wider cranes without a single gram of additional cargo. So it is really just, uh, so, so the shipping companies, they save money, fuel on the seaside, but the ports, the hinterland, everything else loses. So that's the economics why they like bigger ships. The other one is, is market and negotiations. One aspect of this concentration is there are effectively fewer companies and fewer services. And on top of this, they group in alliances. So there are currently only three major alliances in container shipping in the world who concentrate, depending on the route, easily 90% of, of the cargo. Mm. So if you port and want to attract one of these lines as a client, that's, no, it's not the oligopoly, it's oligopoly because they're my clients. And, and it's like when here in Geneva, you have uh, Migros and Denner merging. If you are a provider of 
local apples or honey or whatever in Switzerland, you can either sell it to Migros or you can sell it to Corp. So for the client, for the client, for the shipper, there are different views. I personally don't think it is that bad for the shipper because there's still competition on price. There are operational improvements. These alliances, they, they can, like airlines, you know, the, the one world and so on. There are advantages for us as clients. But the ports, they really are the ones that are losing out. But is, is, there a kind of, is there a kind of limit, Jan? So we saw that the airline industry was, or the airplane building industry was going towards Thanks. bigger planes and they got to the double-decker A380. A380 and they were thinking this is going to be, in a way, going to have the same effect. We're going to have one gate. We're going to be able to push more passengers through it. That's going to be a positive. What they found out was they actually wanted smaller planes that were more efficient on fuel. So that's mm -hmm. not an issue here, but also could have more arrival times. So you could you know, effectively, they could go to multiple more ports. They mm -hmm. could have multiple more leaving times. And save money on fuel. And, and potentially save yeah. money on fuel. So yeah. is there a thing there? Air transport is a bit different there in terms of economies of scale and these things. But th there is a physical limit in terms of channels, access channels. Even shipyards, the shipyards, as I said, the, the current biggest container ships are as big as the biggest oil tankers and the biggest dry bulk carriers. So <laughs> until not so long ago, the ship, the container shipping was still catching up to the other two big segments. Now they have reached that. Yeah, there is now construction, maybe 24,000 TEU or so. But, but overall, I personally, I don't think we will get significantly bigger. We have reached this plateau now, but then who knows? Uh, other people thought we had reached this plateau 20 years ago. You had mentioned there are only two or three, quote unquote, alliances in the shipping industry. Would it be too far of a stretch to call this sort of a, a cartel? Is this sort of an, an OPEC type of situation? Yeah, as I said, the, to some extent, it is a, a cartel, but they are not allowed to agree on price. And there are, I mean, the Brussels, Washington, China, they are watching this very carefully. Most contracts with the shippers are actually confidential. So MSC and Maersk may be in the same alliance, but they do compete and want to get the contract with Walmart, Unilever, BMW, whatever, yeah. and they compete on price. They operate on the services. So you can have a mask container on the MSC ship. And there are some estimates that said, thanks to the cooperation, to the operational cooperation, you have 10% better capacity utilization. So ships are fuller than they would otherwise be. That's good for the shipper. That's good for the client. Because in a way, you reduce the necessary capacity. And in the end, you have, again, at times you have more overcapacity and freight rates go down. So, But there are different views on this. So some people highlight more the negative impact in terms of choice and also that managing the capacity can, of course, also have a bearing on the price, on the freight, freight rate. But at least there, they still compete. When you go to the provider of the port services, there... The alliances negotiate together. There you really have the, the service of one alliance. Do I call in Bremerhaven or Hamburg or Rotterdam or maybe two of the three maximum? But, but if you don't get the conditions from the port that you want, you go elsewhere. So the ports that used to be the stronger ones, they, they used to have higher margins. They had more clients to choose from, so to say. Thanks also to the common transport market, especially in Europe where you have the biggest port for German cargo is Rotterdam in the Netherlands. So you have cross-border, you have common transport markets, the connections. So 
I don't think it's really a cartel for the from the clients from the shippers' perspective. So I, I hear your point on why it's better for shippers in some cases and consumers in most cases. But if you're taking a macro sort of view of the situation right now, in terms of risk management, is this still good business? So if you're thinking about it, okay, it's great that ships are getting bigger. They're able to transport more goods per shipment. But when you're looking at the blockages caused and there are all of these wonky numbers being thrown about in terms of how much this blockage of, was it four or five days, was actually costing Mm -hmm. the world economy, is it really make business sense if one sort of little slip up or if things go a little bit sideways, pardon the the expression, (laughs) that this could really sort of mess up, throw a spammer in the works, right? Really clog up the plumbing, so to speak. Is it really worth it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the question is if, this type of accident really is due to the process of concentration of the bigger ships. Uh, even even a ship of half that size could, theory, almost have blocked. But of course, it would have gotten out a bit easier, quicker with the tugboats and so on. So yes, in that sense, these very big big ships. But the I mean, the the overall risk is not that much because of the bigger ships I, I think it depends for this anecdote yes it was a very big ship but it is not I, I don't see that much this trade-off between the the risk of closing the Suez canal and the big ships so. let me ask you a different question so we've been talking about how supply chains have been kind of distorted since since March 2020 and containers are in the wrong place rates mm-hmm. are shooting up mm-hmm. and as a result also some smaller exporters and some smaller destinations are finding it hard to even find capacity to ship, and they've had massive increases in rates. So I'm sure this Suez thing won't help. Correct. Yeah. Are I we think getting the, towards a stabilization somehow? Yeah. The, and you pointed out to this the freight rates that went through the roof, it said. And I actually think the story of the very high freight rates currently that are caused largely by a lack of capacity of empty boxes, containers, and to some extent ships and waiting times, but it's really a lack of boxes. This has a much bigger impact on the global economy and what shippers all over the world are paying for transport and delays because they don't get the containers, the ships are waiting and so on, than the story in the Suez Canal. But it's not such a nice photo. An empty container that is not there is not quite as impressive as a huge ship stuck in the Suez Canal. So why aren't there enough boxes, uh, Jan? So we, is it just because folks are ordering more stuff? I can't go out for a nice meal, so I've got to order myself another bicycle? Or a PS5. Exactly. Some of these or another, um, yeah, the, the bicycle, the bicycle at home, we are in lockdown and so on. It is true that the decline in trade was not as big as we would have thought when this COVID crisis started. Everybody said, oh, no. If in past stories, histories, when we had a financial crisis, an Asian crisis, whatever, when there was uh, an economic crisis, trade would go down even more. Now, and for years, right? And for and for years, for three years, two, three, yeah, four years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what happened here? What went down was trade and services or national services. Fewer haircuts, I've, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see folks, but all of us are suffering a little bit from that one. Cuts, fewer restaurants, fewer movies, fewer tourism, and so on. But buying stuff, consumer goods, has not really gone down. What has, however, gone down was, especially at the beginning, the frequency of calls, the direction of ship calls. Right now, there's an even bigger imbalance between the United States and China. About 80% of containers loaded in Los Angeles to Shanghai are empty. So it, it's amazing. There has always been an imbalance in spite of... I'm sorry, Jan, you're saying they don't want our Chevys? I thought we were sending soybeans. What happened? Actually, one of the things most commonly found 
in the containers going to from the US to China. I think it's waste paper. <laughs> <laughs> Posters of Hulk Hogan. And, and, and as you say, the unit, the, the, let's say the unit price for the bulk that's going back in those containers is nothing like the iPhones that's coming back. So, so you have this demand, but you also have the containers coming. And then, now we do have an impact of COVID. The, it takes time, more time than normal, to get these empty containers back because ports have problems with port workers tested positive. The intermodal connections are not as good. So there are slight problems in the logistics system. There are more ships waiting. So the whole system is slower. Containers were left in different places where they were not supposed to to be or whether the system was not a place to get them back where, where they were needed. So all of a sudden, there's a small shortage of containers, but because the density of demand is so inelastic, the rates go through the roof. They went really, really high. So is this a case of what you were saying before in terms of the port infrastructure itself sort of not catching up with growing ship size? Has that been compounded by the COVID pandemic? It's not really there an issue of the ship sizes. It is more, yeah, now the, the ports all over the world, they are moving more towards digitalization. They realize actually uh, it's it's good if I do not have to touch papers or personal contact and get COVID, but it's good to have uh, electronic submission and payments and pre-arrival processing, all these things. And that, that takes time. What, what I find really interesting looking at freight rates, and if this wasn't a podcast, I would now show you a nice chart, but imagine a chart where freight rates that go from China to South America and China to West Africa are the ones that really peak even more than the ones that go to Los yes. Angeles or to Europe. And, and after the Suez crisis, the ones to West Africa and also South America they were still going higher, even though that one doesn't go to, through the Suez. For me, that is just one more confirmation that how this whole thing is linked globally. And if there are not enough containers, and these containers are now even more in short supply because they are waiting on the ships in Suez, then the, the routes that need more ships and more containers because of the longer distance, like from Shanghai to Santos, you need more ships than from Shanghai to Los Angeles. And if leasing the containers that are on those ships is getting more expensive, then you want to import a full container in Santos from Shanghai. You have to pay all the days at sea of this container, container on the ships, and you have to pay for the empty containers to go back because there too you have an imbalance. Most, I'm not sure, I don't have the percentages now, but there too you do put coffee into containers and so on, but there's not that much going back from Santos or Buenos Aires to Shanghai. So if you import in Santos or Shanghai, you have to pay for weeks of container leasing, so to say. So if now, thanks to Suez, there's even more shortage of container, the freight rates to Santos go up even more. And it's always going to be, the, the, the container is always going to tend towards wanting to go to the US, US, yeah. US East Asia, Europe East Asia route. It's always going to tend back there unless you pay it to come back towards you. Exactly. It is, yeah, the, the business class, the, the ones, the clients, the shippers who are willing to pay more, the higher valued goods. But generally, we, we know statistics of goods from China that are exported to developing countries, they tend to be of lower value. So that is not the latest model of the iPhone, but an earlier model, or not the high quality IKEA furniture, but some cheaper plastic furniture. So so there have there's less value. And you don't want to pay for, for the container. And that, that affects the places where we work a lot, that they have, we, we know they have higher rates. They have more inefficient trade within Africa, which we talked about along uh, with the IRU guy. Tier, 
<laughs> and uh, we also uh, see that with, with the shipping rates. So they're kind of penalized two different ways. And I guess AFCFTA is a way to try to address this on the ground side, but on the maritime side, we don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure we have a, an answer. I think that's really interesting. Actually, you, you're seeing, again, not to harp on us again, but we, we keep finding this theme of, of inequality and COVID as an accelerant. And I think this is just another example of where uh, it's getting harder and more expensive for the quote unquote poorer countries yeah. to, to continue. So it's the concentration is just speeding up, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Right? And so it is not that the like Santos or Lagos, the same story, or Durban, that they are like more inefficient or have more waiting times. Of course, they, they have, may have different indicators in the API or doing business or WTO indicators, but, but that's not really the issue. The, the issue is that less interesting markets and for the longer distance, normally I always say distance doesn't really matter that much. But if the cost of renting, of leasing a container is so high as it is today, then all of a sudden distance and the time you need that container for that route becomes more important. So, I mean, let's get to the real story here. Lawyers. Mm -hmm. Who's paying? Who's going to, this must be, lawyers must be, they can't eat out right now, but they must be really thinking they want to eat out There's because a it's going to be that. a big one. We're in the money. <laughs> so... Which lawyer would you like to be on? Who's going to make the big money off of this thing? Is it Evergreen's lawyer? Is it Egypt's lawyer? Is it Swiss Re that's somehow the the insurer behind the insurer? Who's going to who's going to win big here? I, I'm not not sure. One lawyer would be those or the group of lawyers, the ships that all of a sudden had to wait longer, and and even if they can now get through, so let's say it's another one week, ten days in total delay. If they have contracts with clients with shippers that had a date of delivery, they have to explain why am I late. And if they now arrive after this 10-day delay in Rotterdam or Antwerp, there will again be a queue. So, so it will take time. So they will again be waiting. So it will be maybe two weeks or f further delays. So I guess there are some cases, some challenges, we, we, some money to be made by by the lawyers of those who deliver too late. And then there's the the personal lawyer of the person steering the boat. As I often say in middle management, it's not my fault. It's COVID. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think <laughs> it's COVID. I mean, I have seen stories of conversations that supposedly took place between the pilot and the captain, which were not very harmonious shortly before the accident. But I can't verify whether these are true. Stuff like, don't stories. touch that. I'm going to crash. Don't touch that. Don't make me crash this 20 <laughs> minutes later. That's how long it takes to turn the boat 20 minutes later. Your other left. <laughs> so if we can put a fine point on this, if we're looking at the ramifications or what have we learned, hint, probably not much. Mm. What have we learned? So do you think anything different will come about this? Rob mentioned airlines as an example, although not a like-for-like -like example, where there mm. was a discussion 10, 15, 20 years ago about this, whether to go bigger in terms of the size of the plane or make them smaller, more efficient. Do you think we'll learn anything from this in terms of how we can better manage you know, potential blockages? Yeah. ITF, International Transport Forum, Olaf Merck, he just put out today a blog post. I agree with the main message should not be, okay, now we have to build even more infrastructure to make sure that even these bigger ships can get more secure through the canal, but really rethink, do we really need these ever bigger 
ships. Uh, I share this overall thought. At the same time, if the Suez Canal now decides let's widen further or have another second lane at some point in time, they're in their right. And of course, that would mean would reduce the risk and would mean more money. There's uh, the, the other aspect here, this ship ever given. I've just in, in front of me here the, the list of all the stakeholders. So that was built in Japan. The Classification Society is from the United States. The owner again Japanese, operator is Taiwan, a manager is a German company, the flag is Panama, the crew was from or is from India, journey was from Malaysia to the Netherlands, Canal Egypt, insured in the UK, P&I Club, salvage company from the Netherlands. So what did you ask you about whose lawyer do you want to be, no? <laughs> <laughs> you lost me at Panama. They're going to be trying to slow down payment as much as they can because they know they're going to be paying. Or not. That's a, that's all you're doing in an insurance company, right? You're just trying to make, you're just trying to delay when you when you when you fork out. We had one story where good old Hoffman Shipping, a little shipping company, we were given bad fuel, and we know it was bad fuel. No, it was Shell. I can say it. It was a Shell company in Germany. I'm shouting it here. And the bunkering station that sold out that bad fuel was closed afterwards because the TÜV didn't approve it. But, but they had the better lawyers. And our lawyer was the one from the insurance who defended us as long as the insurance paid. And when the, that quota end was up, then he said, let's just accept a compromise, whatever. So we, we lost two weeks of, of business. Long story, but I, I don't like lawyers. Sorry. Sorry. No, I, I, I have friends who are lawyers, but Sorry. <laughs> My sister-in-law is hopefully not listening to this. Yeah. I mean, when your lawyer says whatever, then I think you're <laughs> <laughs> Time to jump ship. Exactly. So, Jan, this has been a real pleasure. I know you're, you're managing different databases so they can learn more about freight rates and other things. Where can they find more information on all this? Really, we have a lot of statistics on Anktat. So that's stats.anktat.org slash maritime. Stats, S-T-A-T-S, dot anktat.org slash maritime. There you can see uh, the, you have country profiles. You can go to Panama or to Egypt or whatever, see where, how much trade they have, connectivity, fleet, uh, port traffic, quite a lot to get a start. And for your stuff, they just look up Jan Hoffman, Unctad on Google and bang. Yeah, or you type uh, Jan Hoffman dot live. Dot live. That's it. That's the most and photos <laughs> and stories and so And uh, the haircut story. Our listeners want to know, are you still not a David Hasselhoff fan? I confess, uh, still not. No, I'm. I'm so sorry. Okay, we'll talk. We'll talk to you in March 2022. We'll try after, again. I, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up on me. I have a playlist on on Spotify. If you really want to know, so you have to find on Spotify the worst karaoke singer prize or something. Because I once won a prize in Korea for being the worst karaoke singer. And when you listen to the, my choice of songs, you understand why I'm not good in karaoke. Or why they didn't understand you. I think you just gave us an idea. We should put a trades planning Spotify, uh, Spotify playlist. We're just hoping we get sued at some point. That <laughs> yeah. would be a sign we're doing something right. Hopefully we don't have Jan's lawyer, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jan Hoffman, thank you very much for joining Trades Planning. It's been a pleasure yet again. We hope to have you on very soon, but not soon enough that people think we're desperate. Every, every, every canal accident. Exactly. Let's do that one. <laughs> Every R canal you working take. On it. <laughs> That's a sting song, I think. <laughs> All right, everybody. That brings us to the next segment, and we've got a little special surprise for you. The return of. We mentioned last episode, that's right, Rob, that we're bringing back the UN word of the day to coincide with the opening of Geneva Beach. At Ian Geneva Richards. Thank you, Ian Richards. Cough, cough. Wasn't really Ian Richards, but it was 
for that little tidbit of information. So we'd like to kick things off with our first UN word of the day of 2021. So and let me let me talk to you about something. Talk to me. Because we're talking about reform of the United Nations system and we're trying to make it future proof. So what does that mean to you, Artie? Future proof means that you buy a DeLorean, you soup it up, you get a weird, crazy doctor with white hair and you go back to 1985 to make sure the bad stuff that will happen to you doesn't happen to you. That's the, that's the best answer I've ever heard. I think ding, 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 ding. 88 miles That's correct. Hour. That's the correct answer. Or 129 kilometers. Or in the real world, outside of movie quotes, it's doing the same thing you're doing, but using different adjectives. I feel like I've heard this before. It's been a while since we're going back into the catalog. So future proof. I like, I like that answer. Let's just go with that. Well, folks, that about wraps up this week's special episode with our guest, Jan Hoffman. Second time he's been on. The Hoffmeister, as he's known. We'd like to thank Jan for joining us and for also discussing all things Suez. And also, we can thank ourselves for the return of the UN Word of the Day. That is true, Rob. So make sure you guys check out that UN Word of the Day. But more importantly, don't forget to download this episode if you haven't already and subscribe to make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very shortly. And also feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten a few good ones recently. We won't read them out until next episode. But what that means is there's still time for you guys to leave us your witty and impactful. Our little splainers. Rob, we said we're not going to use our little splainers. It's just, it's kind of unsettling. Anyway, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or email us at trade.splaining at gmail.com. And remember, like I said, make sure you subscribe, hit the like button, leave a review. And remember, hashtag listen responsibly.